IPC, it's good to be with you again, and we're now in the fifth good word of the Father's Ten Good Words, our series on the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And I'll read this fifth commandment for us as we begin. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. Today, what I'd like us to do in the spirit of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Good Words, Let's have a good old-fashioned top 10 list, a countdown, right? We'll start at 10, we'll go all the way down to one, and it'll be exciting, okay? Let's call it the top 10 things you didn't know about the fifth commandment. Sound like a plan? All right, let's jump right in, shall we? Number 10, the fifth good word, the fifth commandment was originally addressed to adult children, huh? Adults are the original audience. Now, when I was a boy, of course, adults told me all the time at home, at Sunday school, that I had better obey this commandment. It was addressed specifically to me as a child. But now I find out scholars are saying, without much doubt at all, that the fifth good word here is actually addressed to adults who need to honor their aging parents. So I was told about this as a kid. It's about me. I better honor my parents. I find out as an adult that it's actually the whole time was meant for my parents. And now I'm an adult and it's about me again. I can't escape this commandment. But what am I going to do, right? Am I going to get bitter and resentful at my parents for getting the commandment wrong? Well, the fifth good word says, no, buddy, you better honor your parents. So I'm stuck. I'm stuck. The fifth good word was always mostly about adult children honoring their parents. Society today, as well as back then, was tempted to value human lives only if those human lives were productive human lives. But God is different, and God is calling Israel, in this fifth good word, to stand out in the middle of a world that dishonors people who didn't seem useful to society by their impact or their productivity. People like aging adults. And Jesus, in fact, confronted the religious leaders of his own day. Why? Because they were inventing all kinds of extra laws and telling people you have to keep these things. At the same time, they were ignoring a commandment in the top 10, in the 10 commandments, this one. These hypocrites, these religious leaders, they didn't want to provide financially for their aging parents. And so what did they do? They pretended that they had set up trust funds, savings accounts, and they dedicated the money that was supposed to go to mom and dad in their old age to the temple. So they're going to support the temple financially. They're going to be really spiritual, right? And Jesus looks at them and he says, you think you're so spiritual, don't you? Huh? I'll tell you what's spiritual, taking care of your mom and dad when they become vulnerable. Jesus has no time for this hypocrisy. And so the question for us is, adults, in what ways are your parents vulnerable? And how might you honor them in these areas in which they're vulnerable? So number 10 is the commandments really originally and primarily addressed to adults, adult children. All right, ready for number nine? Number nine, father and mother honor your father and mother. Father and mother is shorthand for 
authorities. Here's one that will make everybody uncomfortable. Actually, Christians have always believed this, that father and mother is another way of saying anybody who is in authority over you, anyone to whom the Lord has delegated responsibility for your instruction, for your nurture, for your oversight. I think it's amazing, just as an example, in the book of Acts, beginning about chapter 25, to watch the apostle Paul as he speaks with Roman governors, Roman rulers, pagans, He's proclaiming to them, even in the midst of his trial, that Jesus is Lord. And this is what has gotten him in trouble in the first place, proclaiming this around the Roman Empire. And now he's on trial before Festus and Agrippa and Bernice, and he gets the opportunity to speak, to defend himself. And he speaks, and he speaks authoritatively. He proclaims the good news while he does it, but he does it with great respect right from the start for the king. At one point, Festus is listening to all this, and he interrupts him. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And Festus is like, Paul, all of your learning has made you insane. You are out of your mind, buddy. You're crazy. And Paul replies, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. (laughs) I just love that. Who are your hardest to honor mothers and fathers? And how are you going to honor them? Because father and mother, number nine, is shorthand for anyone in authority. Okay, number eight. The truest father is God, and the truest mother is the church. Another thing that Christians have always believed. There's a fellow named Cyprian of Carthage. He was a North African, and he was a bishop And unfortunately, Cyprian had a pandemic named after him, the pandemic of Cyprian. Why? Because he wrote about it very eloquently, and so they attached his name to it. So you better be careful. I better be careful when I post on Facebook or blog or whatever about our pandemic so that they don't end up naming it after me, the plague of Steger. That would be kind of a shame, right? Well, the Cyprian fella He died as a martyr for his faith in the year 258, 258. And here's what Cyprian said, that everybody agrees with, even though it's hard to hear. He says, you can't have God as your father unless you will also have the church as your mother. Can't have God as your father unless you will also have the church as your mother. What's he mean? He means... The church is the mother that God has given to us for nurture and for discipline and for encouragement and for spiritual food. And so, do you want to honor the Lord God as father? Well, honor his bride, the church, who is your mother. Interestingly, we have some people joining the church today, uh, and by taking their vows, they are proclaiming that the church is, in fact, their mother as they serve the Father. Number seven, number, number eight was um, that uh, the truest father is God and the truest mother is the church. Number seven, God is literally father and every other father borrows that title. How about this? When I say to you, God is our father, what do you immediately think of? Do you think of your own father? Maybe you 
okay, this is God, so I have to subtract all the bad stuff. Now I have to add back in all the qualities that I wish my dad had but doesn't. Now I need to make all of these qualities infinite and eternal. Okay, now I've got God the Father, right? That's probably what most of us do naturally. But actually, here's the way that you're really supposed to do this. God is the one true Father. And so forget everything that you know for a minute about every other father. Think only of God. God's power and gentleness. God's vision and plans. God's closeness to the brokenhearted. God's defense of the defenseless and vulnerable. God's determination to hold the wicked responsible. God's patience and tenderness and forgiveness towards people like us who fail. Friends, that is what father means. God is father, the original father. And then God assigns, lends the name father to human fathers and authorities. And then human fathers either imitate the true father or they don't. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 gets at this. Paul says, We kneel before the Father from whom every fatherhood on earth is named because God is the original Father and everyone else is just a better or worse imitation. So let me ask you this. Do you need to forget your concept of Father for long enough to focus on the character of God, the one true Father? Maybe you do. So number seven, uh, seven is God is literally father and other fathers are just copies. Number six, the fifth commandment, the fifth good word, solves the worship wars. It solves the worship wars. The worship wars, in case you're ignorant of these, are older people want traditional music, younger people want rock and roll or something like that, right? That's the that's the way we usually think of it. So there's this fellow, Kevin Twitt in Nashville, and he's a pastor, and he started a church music movement, and he takes old hymn lyrics, and he writes new folk songs to go with them, and they're beautiful. So here's what I heard him say one time about the worship wars, about church music and the generations. From Ephesians chapter 6, he says, want to solve the worship wars? Children, Honor your parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. What if we did? Well, then all the childish attitudes and words about church music styles would stop and we'd get around to worshiping in spirit and truth. And wouldn't that be cool? So the fifth commandment, number six, solves the worship wars if we could just obey it. Number five, we never outgrow the fifth good word. I got a word for you. Ready? You've heard it once or twice already. Authority. How do you like that word? How does that sit with you? Hmm? I was telling my friend Karen that I had some of my wife's dill and garlic ranch dressing with some vegetables a couple of hours ago, and it's not sitting with me well. I can still taste it. 
How does the word authority sit with you? Does it sit like garlic and ranch dressing after a couple of hours? I think it does for a lot of us. The Bundesrat gives pandemic guidelines to us, right? And our reaction is immediately to say, wait a second, I don't know if I really like people telling me what I can and can't do. See, I think we think that as we grow up, we evolve beyond the fifth good word. We stop being children. But no, <laughs> we're actually always under authorities to whom we did not give our consent. You didn't choose to be born. You didn't delegate your authority to your parents. You didn't choose your home country or its government. You didn't choose who would be the true Lord of heaven and earth. These are your authorities and you did not consent to them. Do I, do you have an authority problem? To some degree, we probably do. Can I, can you, nevertheless, begin to honor fathers and mothers? So number five, we never outgrow the fifth good word. Number four, now it gets real. Let's turn to the real parent-child relationship, the truest one between Jesus and his heavenly father. How do father and son fulfill the fifth good word together? Number four is Jesus and his father fulfill the fifth good word. How in Jesus's life and ministry? Let's check out how father and son do this in Jesus' life and ministry. Every, if you haven't noticed it yet, every parent-child relationship, every relationship with authority, according to the fifth good word, is supposed to look like this. The child honors the parent. The parent lifts the child up to a place of greater honor. The child honors the parent. The parent lifts the child up to honor we studied John's gospel during Lent, and we saw that Jesus constantly says that all he's ever saying or doing is what his father has called him to say or do, so that his words and his actions might honor his heavenly father. And so his actions, his, his healings are done to show honor to his father, to show his father's heart to heal. When he rebukes the Pharisees and hypocrites, he does so to honor the father's love for justice. When he exercises patience with his dumb disciples, he does this to show his father's incredible patience with all of us slow learners. And then when Jesus's life comes to an end, he prays, as we read in John's gospel, he prays that his father would lift him up to the place of honor and glory as well. So Jesus honors the father and then the father lifts him up to the place of honor. Number four, Jesus and his father fulfill the fifth good word in Jesus' own life and ministry. Number three, Jesus and his father fulfill the fifth good word at the cross itself, at the cross itself. How? Well, let's see, what was it? Monday, I started getting a toothache, and it was the same stupid tooth that has been bothering me in months past, and I went to the dentist the whole day, and really ever since then, with this toothache, I can barely think of anything except for myself. 
right? All of the attention is focused on me and specifically right here. When you're in pain, when you're suffering, you're thinking about yourself and that's natural. But here's Jesus in the midst of his suffering at the cross. And what do we find him doing there? We find him welcoming a thief who's being crucified next to him and welcoming him into paradise, ministering to him. We hear Jesus praying things like, Father, forgive all of these people for they don't know what they're doing. And then how about this? Jesus knows that it is his responsibility as a son and as the first son of the family to do what? To take his mother into his own home and to care for her as she ages, to protect her physically and socioeconomically as she becomes more and more vulnerable in her old age. But here's Jesus, and as a young man, he chooses the cross. Remember, he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. And so he's going to voluntarily leave his earthly family. How will Jesus be a true human son as well as the son of God? How will he fulfill the fifth commandment if he leaves earth and doesn't take care of his mom? You might think, well, he's got to save the world. He gets a pass. He doesn't have to honor his mom in that same way. Well, not so fast. Actually, what does Jesus do? He becomes John's best friend. And at some point before he goes to the cross, he must have pulled John aside and said, I love you. You're my best friend. If something should happen to me, will you promise to be a son to my mother and honor her in her old age as if you were me? Will you do that on my behalf? And then, while he's on the cross, he makes this arrangement official. He looks down, John chapter 19, you can read about it. He looks down at John. He looks down at his mother from the cross, and he says to his mom, woman, behold your son. And then he says to John, son, behold your mother. The son, <laughs> I'm preoccupied with my dumb toothache and can't think of anything but myself. The son of God is in our flesh is suffering for our sins, and he's honoring his mother even as he's on the cross. How does the father lift up his son like a good father does when the son is on the cross? Well, there's at least two ways. The Roman soldier whose job it is to execute Jesus, when he sees the way that Jesus died and his countenance and his prayers and his demeanor, he's serving and he's loving his beloved all the way to the end. When Jesus takes his last breath, what does the Roman executioner say? He says, surely this man was the son of God. You see, the soldier is there to make sure that when everybody leaves Calvary that late afternoon, they will say, well, Caesar is Lord. But the father comes while the son is giving his life for, as a ransom for many. The father comes and he grips the soldier's heart, the symbol of Roman authority, and he shows the soldier his own glory in the face of his son, Jesus, so that the soldier who's there to make everybody say, Caesar is Lord, himself walks away from Calvary that afternoon and says, wow, Jesus is Lord. Isn't that stunning? 
the Father so honors the Son. And at the very same time, Paul tells us, Colossians chapter 2, that as Jesus is giving up his life, he is triumphing over the spiritual forces of evil everywhere in the universe in his very cross. The Father delights to give his Son the triumph, lifting him up to honor and glory, even at the cross. So number three, the Father and the Son give each other honor and glory even at the cross. Number two, we're almost to the end. Jesus and his Father fulfill the fifth good word also in Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, and his session at the Father's throne. How? Well, think about this. The Son has just lived a perfect life in our flesh with all of our difficulties and temptations. And then he's just died a horrible but a triumphant death, winning our redemption. He's like a general who's just gone out and done an awesome job and saved the country. Well, the father calls him in then, and he says, son, I have a new job for you in my administration. And Philippians 2, he gives him the title and the name that is above every other name, and that is Lord of heaven and earth. Just finished Michael Jordan's and the Bulls documentary, The Last Dance. Michael Jordan wins his sixth NBA championship for the Chicago Bulls. And what does he do? He retires, right? He wants to play golf. I don't blame him, right? He wants to sit back and enjoy some of those piles of money that he has earned along the way. And who can blame him? He's tired. But think about Jesus, our champion. Jesus wins the world's salvation and then immediately accepts his father's assignment and serves as his father's uh, chief administrator, sits on the very throne of God. Remember, the fifth good word means that sons and daughters honor their fathers and mothers, and mothers and fathers lift their daughters and sons up into honor. Well, the father and son fulfilled the good word, the fifth good word, as Jesus is raised to the throne. And the final thing you might not know about the fifth good word, and it's this. Number one, you and I will continue to fulfill the fifth good word for all eternity. We'll fulfill the fifth good word for all eternity. Let me put it this way. God will never stop placing human beings like you and me as authorities over the creation. And we, you and me, will never stop submitting to the authority of those who may be placed in one sphere or another over us in authority. Those things will never stop. Only two things will stop. Number one, every authority will finally be completely freed from sin and completely freed to bless and to, uh, to bless the people that they lead. Number two, every person under authority will also be completely freed from sin and therefore completely free to joyfully follow the people who lead them. 
you and I will forever have the opportunity to honor our Father by exercising authority under his authority in his name. And you and I will forever be able to honor the Lord Jesus, the truest human authority that there ever was, by saying yes to his authority and yes to the glorified human women and men that he appoints to rule different aspects of his new creation on his behalf. You and I will be discipled, apprenticed into new positions of responsibility and authority for all eternity. You and I will get to play the role of honored mothers and fathers for all eternity. You and I will get to play the role of daughters and sons who joyfully honor their parents for all eternity. We will be honored like mothers and fathers. We will be lifted up to greater positions of honor like daughters and sons. And all of this will happen for us, thank God, without even a hint of pride, of cynicism, of envy, or of bitterness. It's going to be a new world. How can God make a world that is so new and so radically different and beautiful? Well, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who has the authority to make all things new. By being the truest son, by being the older brother that we will gladly follow, by lifting us up to true fatherhood and sonship, by granting us the promise that's attached to the fifth good word, that we might live long, even forever, in the country that the Lord our God gives us. Now, friends, maybe you, like me, are thinking, wow, actually, the fifth commandment is way cooler than I thought it was. There's some cool stuff in here. I like that you're thinking that, assuming that you're thinking that. But I don't want you to merely leave today thinking, cool, I thought it was just be nice to your parents, do what they say. I want you to leave thinking that it's more glorious than that. But not just that. I want you to also leave here, and mostly leave here thinking, that Jesus, the Son, is far more magnificent than you have ever dreamed. Because he is. Because he is. And how marvelous is it for you and I to be able to submit to and to honor forever the Lord of heaven and earth and a Lord like the one we have in Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus and his loving submission to you. Thank you for your loving fatherhood to him. And thank you that all of that has been extended to us as your dear children. Help us to know how we might practically uh, honor and love those who are in authority over us with full hearts and without bitterness. And help us also to look at the people that you've placed us over and ask how can we lift them up to places of honor as we encourage them and, are, and nurture them and are kind and generous to them. You've done all of this and more because you are the true father. And every other little miniature fatherhood that works well on earth and even in heaven is just a chip off the old block, a little bit of a reflection of your great fatherhood towards us. We praise you for your goodness to us and for your son, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
I'll see you next time.